put trust in the fact that it's going to be okay. If you're willing to go along for the ride, make the necessary adjustments, have trust that it's going to be all right. It may not be exactly what you thought it was going to be, but it's going to be all right. Hey gang, welcome or welcome back. If you're new here, my name's Eric, and on this channel we talk about everything that leads to living a noticeably better life. We talk about everything from physical and mental health to purpose, productivity, and more. And today on the channel, I am super excited to welcome a very special guest, Steve DiPaolo. Steve is a veteran of the entertainment industry, having worked on the business side of theater for nearly the past 40 years. I've had the pleasure of knowing Steve for more than a decade now, and I can say he is an absolute wealth of knowledge on many topics, but one in particular is building connection. For so many years, I've remarked on the ability that Steve has to build really strong connections that stand the test of time and sort of break the barriers between both personal and professional life. And I'm so excited to be speaking with him today on the channel because he is going to share all of his thoughts, all of his tips on making better connections and making sure that those are lasting. So let's jump into it. Well, I want to thank you, Steve, for being here today. Um, this has been a long time in the making. We were supposed to do this in London or Paris, and suddenly we find ourselves here in Chicago shooting this. Uh, I'm really appreciative that you took the time to do this. I know um, it's sort of coming out on a limb a little bit to uh, do an interview like this. No, I, I actually appreciate having the opportunity. You know that I support this work that you're doing, and I, I really enjoy the concept and uh, where it has the potential to go. And I'm actually very thrilled to be a part of it. Thank you. So we've known each other for more than a decade now. Um, and I've always sort of remarked, uh, especially as you've given me sort of career advice and done that through sort of stories of your experience, the, the sort of connections that you've been able to build throughout your career. And I know that's really what we're going to be talking about today is this idea of connection probably both personally and professionally. So I'm really excited to, to kind of have you educate us on how that has sort of uh, played out in your life and um, how it continues to sort of fuel the work that you're doing. Um, I'm wondering, just to, to kind of get us grounded in your story, could you tell us a little bit, uh, just kind of the thousand foot view uh, of you and uh, of the Steve DePaula career arc? I wish I could sit here and say that there was a, that there was grand plan, but there wasn't. I feel like for a lot of it, I let myself go on the journey, and I didn't necessarily know where that journey was uh, was going to end. I was the first person in uh, in my family uh, who had ever gone to college. There were high expectations of me sometimes. I think higher than my my actual uh, level of of, uh, of skill or the potential for me to achieve, but I knew that there was there were expectations. When I finished my undergraduate degree in business, I started a graduate degree in theater administration because the arts had always been something that I was interested in. I knew, even though I had participated in the arts, I knew that I probably wasn't talented enough. And I certainly didn't have the uh, courage to withstand all of the 
rejection that goes along with a career in the arts to do that professionally. But I wanted to try to apply the business skills that I had learned undergraduate to working at least in the arts. Sure. So I was going for a graduate degree in theater administration. And I happened to, I was doing that at night. I was having to work during the day. And I um, became a teacher, which was not something that I thought that, uh, that I would do. But I taught junior high school for a couple of years. And mm -hmm. then I taught high school for a few more years. By that time, I, I felt like I was well-placed to start on this, this career uh, that I had envisioned of working in, in the business of uh, the business side of arts. So I went to work for an organization uh, called Actors' Equity, which is the union for um, actors and stage managers in the theater. And uh, I ended up working for them for quite some time, not quite knowing where that was going to end up, what I was going to do. I certainly didn't go in there thinking that I was going to end up spending as much time there as I, as I did. But um, how much time was that? That was 34 years, which uh, is probably shocking to a lot of people. It's <laughs> like even shocking for me to say. I don't know that it's something that I would recommend that people do. At the time I started that journey, it, uh, it was something that um, maybe made more sense than it does today. I have to imagine being sort of in, uh, at Equity for 34 years, there have to be some really deep connections that get built uh, over the course of that career. I'm, I'm curious sort of what, as you're looking back over your career, what were maybe some of those highlights in terms of you know, people that really influenced your path or? Yeah, I mean, some of those people that uh, brought me into the organization initially ended up making an impact on my life well past them leaving. The person who hired me, uh, the executive director at the time, who ended up himself becoming the longest serving executive director, I knew him for the remaining 37 years of his life. He certainly was a mentor to me professionally, and he's someone that after he left Equity, I, I really discovered a friendship with, and uh, he helped me not only navigate the challenges that I was having then as, as the, at that point, executive that I was in the organization, but also helped me a lot in terms of navigating life and some of the things that I was thinking about and what was important to me. So he's someone who, who definitely made an influence as, as well as another executive there who I worked very closely with and who ironically had taught me when I was in high school and wow. uh, my path then crossed again with him prof professionally. When he retired from the organization, I actually eventually got the job that, uh, that he left as one of the as one of the executives in the organization, and he continues to be a friend. He's, you know, a great mentor in my life. So, you know, I, he, he has known me as, uh, as a student, as a young professional, you know, as, a, as an older professional, and 
as a young man and an, and an older person as well. I'm sure there's so many of those people that sort of influenced you along that path. And I'm, something that, that always has stood out for me, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is sort of the, the web of people. It's like an orbit of people sort of around you and around the organization and sort of your, your professional journey. I'm curious, is it something you actively curated? Like, were you, were you setting out to say like, oh, I need to build kind of these orbits of people? Were you trying to make those connections or did that happen just sort of by, just naturally? Yeah, I don't think I was consciously trying to create them or, or curate them. And I certainly, I don't even think, was thinking broadly enough to understand what that meant even when it all started. But I'll give you an example of one of those two, two people I just mentioned, the person that you know taught me in high school. So my mother actually knew him before I did hmm. because um, she uh, worked in the school. She ended up getting involved in a theater program that he was running. And I got to know him. And then subsequently, when I was a senior in high school, he was a teacher uh, and happened to be my teacher. And then later, you know, I found myself working and he was, uh, you know, he was uh, my boss, my immediate supervisor. And, you know, to answer your question, I didn't actively seek out, you know, these circles. But what I always wanted to do was move beyond the place that I was in to a different place to learn something. And I think, you know, as I think back to my childhood, I never wanted to sit at the kids' table. Mm. I wanted to sit at the adult table because I wanted to know more than what was being discussed at the kids' table. I, I just never wanted to stay in the, in the little place I was in. I wanted to try to keep moving the edges of that circle wider so that I would know more and learn more, get to know more people. I'd be lying if I didn't say, you know, professionally as I grew, uh, that also meant knowing more information and, and trying to be more aware of what was going on and, and how, I might, how I might impact it and, uh, and, and serve it and, 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 you know, be helpful to it. You mentioned sort of the, those things have happened and, and you didn't maybe necessarily intend for that to happen, but it's sort of been happenstance. I'm curious, you know, I think a lot of people have trouble, even if they're able to make connections, then to hold on to them, right? I think so often, you know, perhaps we establish connection, then life events happen, you know, for whatever reason, we start to lose those connections and the, you know, the, the links in the chain get broken. Do you feel like throughout your life, you did something differently that led to having more of those connections sort of stay, uh, stay there for you? That's a great question. And, and, you know, the first thought that comes to my mind is I haven't done it well enough because I think about the many connections that, you know, either didn't survive all through those years or that could have been fostered even more than they were. You know, I think in terms of for the ones that did survive, I think if you're going to have connections throughout all of those periods of life, one of the things that you have to be willing to do is recognize those people for who they are in the moment rather than who they were at the time that you met them. You have to very much live in the present sense. So if you taught somebody years ago, but 
they're now a father and they're your friend, you see them for what they are at the moment and, and don't think about them in, in light of what they were. I would also say for friends that I've had who were older than me and whom I have remained friends with, you know, into their 80s, you also have to be willing to accept the fragility of life. And you have to be willing to stick with those people when they are less than what you once knew them as. Sometimes that requires being more patient and it requires, again, having empathy. And yet one of the great gifts of, you know, all of this, all of these longtime relationships is that hopefully they are the things that are going to see you through those transitions as well. Uh, they're going to be the relationships that are patient with you when uh, you need greater patience. I don't know that there's anything that I did especially, except that I would say those are two things you definitely have to do. Somebody who's watching this might be thinking, Steve must be very outgoing. He's like, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and like making all these connections. Is that, is that a fair characterization of sort of how you built these connections in your life and your career? What was, what was sort of your secret or your tactic? First of all, I have absolutely zero comfort level at doing that. None of that comes naturally to me. I tend to be um, a shy and introverted person. But I think I recognized early on if I wanted, you know, the seat at the grown-ups table or I wanted to move into a circle outside of the one that I was in, and, and learn what was going on there, that I was going to have to be curious and overcome those kinds of self-doubts and fears that I had. People who don't know me and see me at, you know, let's say an event or something like that and see me talking to people, you know, think that I am very gregarious and find this easy to do, but it's work for me. It's fun, but it doesn't come easily. I have to uh, force myself to do it. And sometimes I'm more successful at it than others. You know, sometimes I, I'm just not because uh, I, for whatever reason, I can't make it, I, I can't get to where I need to be. If you do have a facility at it, it's a lot easier, but you know, if it's not, you have to be willing to put in the work and, and work at it. Uh, otherwise, you miss a lot of opportunity and, you know, you end up hanging back in the, in the shadows when you can, you know, you can be actually moving forward and making connections. I'm, I'm kind of curious to get your take. I mean, I know sort of as a society, we reward extroverts generally or extroverted behavior. And we perhaps don't reward introverted behavior kind of at the same rate. Um, and I think what you're saying is you may be an introvert by nature, but sort of have maybe created some space for yourself to be extroverted in those scenarios because you know that that's what's going to lead to, or at least in those cases, led to connection. I'm curious to get your take on, you know, what this, what this looks like, sort of especially present time for introverts who might be hearing that and thinking, like, I, I can't do that. I, I don't maybe have the ability to sort of push through that discomfort. Do you, do you have any advice for, for that person who's saying, I don't know how I would get over that sort of fear? The only thing that you can do is to try to find some 
common ground, either by an observation that you make about that person before you you actually go in and, and try to speak. Find something that you feel like you can uh, connect on and make a comment or ask a question about that and be curious about the other person. One way I sort of overcome it is I put a lot more emphasis on listening to the other person than on speaking myself, at least initially. And then once I start talking, I'm on a roll. But, you know, I, I think initially I want to do more listening. I'm not having to take as much risk, right? Because I'm, I'm hearing what somebody else has to say and actually also starting to know that person and starting to know where we might connect. Once you find that initial reason to make contact with somebody, then I think it's, it's actually wanting to listen. I will say, I don't know if this has anything to do with trying to do this successfully. I try to never ask, especially early on in a conversation when I'm meeting somebody, what they do. Once you ask a person what they do, whether consciously or unconsciously, we start to draw a conclusion about how successful this person is, maybe what their characteristics might be, or whatever. And I think that what we do professionally are is interesting, but it's not necessarily the most interesting thing about us. So it's not something when I'm trying to make connection and overcome you know, my introverted self, it's definitely not something that I lead with. What has been your experience or maybe been your observations of kind of the shifting dynamic of connection and communication and maybe expectations um, for you know, people in the workplace? Because I feel like so many of your connections somehow also wove themselves through your professional career. Um, how, is, how is that sort of changing in, in the modern workplace? that you've seen? One thing is if you um, hope to stay relevant professionally as you get older, you have to be willing to accept that things are not the way they were all the time. I think, you know, for myself, I've had to make changes, you know, through my life in terms of recognizing what was, what was, you know, maybe more commonplace when I was younger is not necessarily what appeals to people in the workforce who are younger than me today. So for example, when I was younger, you know, if I was asked to go out to dinner and drinks with the boss or somebody higher up than me, I thought this was the greatest thing ever, right? Because that was just me, you know, moving beyond my, you know, circle again and learning more and that's the but, adults table. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know, I recognize now that that for some people is is the most horrible thing ever. So, if you think just because you're a person who is in a particular place in the hierarchy in the organization and you think, "Oh, I'm going to have this uh, I'm going to have this event and I'm going to, you know, ask people to come to it and they're going to think it's wonderful." That not everybody finds it wonderful anymore. So I think, you know, it's just a long way of saying that, you know, I, I think you have to stay uh, mindful of how the world around you has changed. And you have, you know, you have a choice. You can either change with the world or you can keep railing against the world you're in 
and trying to go back to some time that you thought was better. Uh, I'm, I'm for continuing to try to learn and move and advance. I want to draw a parallel um, sort of in two different points that you've brought up, um, sort of this idea of how do we preserve those longer term connections and, and kind of manage uh, shifting expectations of people that we've known in different phases of their lives. Uh, and, and similarly, sort of the way that we manage kind of shifting expectations in the workplace, um, you, you've sort of highlighted meeting people where they are and kind of the importance of that. And I'm curious if, you, if you'd say a little bit more about meeting people where they are. Yeah, I, I, I think for one thing, it's important not to try to make somebody be the person you are or ask them to do the things that you did in order to achieve what they want to achieve. What necessarily works for me doesn't work, you know, for everybody. You know, we hear a lot today, you know, in terms of this idea of meeting people where they are, we hear a lot about, a, you know, there's a crisis of creativity and innovation in the workplace. I worry that one of the things that is uh, responsible for that is that we're not willing to meet people where they are. We ask them to be creative and to be innovative. And then when they do so, and they do so in a way that is not familiar to us, we slap it down in every conceivable way, making that person uh, never want to be innovative and creative again. Because we're not doing enough to understand why they feel that that thing that they're recommending is appropriate. Because we're looking at it through the filter of our own experience rather than looking at it through the filter of their experience. And then again, since we're talking about circles a lot, or I'm talking about circles, finding that common space in the Venn diagram where maybe even if that's something I couldn't possibly see myself buying into 100%, what are the, what are the ways that we can see each other's perspective and move forward? I, uh, that, that reminds me of, um, there's a, a program I did recently called Positive Intelligence. Um, and one of the tools that is uh, a part of that is this idea of always saying, the thing I like about that is this thing. And it, it forces you, even if, even if you think it's 90% wrong of whatever that person just said, um, to focus on the 10% that you think is right. Um, and, and the way that you kind of phrase that about sort of where is our Venn diagram reminds me of, of that particular tactic, which I think is, uh, can be very helpful even for preserving relationships. Uh, I think it, it's difficult sometimes in the workplace to say, oh yeah, that idea you just came up with, for whatever reason, doesn't work. And, and that's sort of notwithstanding, I think, good advice of, you know, trying to meet them where they are and not immediately slapping things down just because it doesn't meet your, you know, kind of frame of reference. And, and I see sort of a, a combination there of always starting from the thing that we think is positive, uh, you know, that somebody brought to us and, and how important that is for making sure that we don't stifle creativity. Yeah, you know, when you talk about relationships, you know, you asked about, you know, what do you have to do in order to have relationships, you know, last through uh, a lifetime or decades? You know, one of the things that I've discovered that you have to do is, you know, we live in a much more politically polarized time, you know, today than we were 40 years ago. For a variety of reasons, I think there is uh, um, a growing desire to only be around people who think as we think and to support 
the things that we believe. You know, I think in terms of preserving relationships uh, through times like the ones we're in, that would be very difficult uh, to do, you know, sometimes. And so what I've encouraged friends of mine who I know think very, very differently than, than what I think is, you know, why do we start from the place where we disagree? Mm-hmm. Why don't we focus on the areas where we agree? And, you know, in friendship, that should be a great deal. If you've invested your time, your life into a relationship, that area of intersection hopefully is not very small. Your career spanned a huge sort of technological revolution, which, you know, there's nothing that technology hasn't uh, sort of tested or changed. Um, what what has been your experience, sort of this, the introduction of technology and now the ubiquity of technology? How do you feel like that's changing the way that people connect in, in life, in work? What's been your observation? It can be very connecting, right? So I have friends who I talk to who are in different parts of the world in real time. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember my grandfather writing a letter to his sister who was still in Italy and it would take weeks to arrive to her and weeks, you know, for her to respond and get back to him. So there would be months between communication. I can talk to somebody in Italy in real time right now and I can see them, you know, and and see what they're looking like and what they're thinking. Ironically, that thing which has brought us greater connection in some ways has also brought greater isolation. We can use technology to become more connected or we can use technology to sort of be kept more in a box. And I think about this a lot, you know, for example, in the post-COVID hybrid workplaces, which I definitely support. I think that those are great. What you have to be very cognizant of is how do you really create connection? You can have a meeting with your colleague who is 30 miles away in real time. But when that meeting comes to an end, your connection comes to an end. There is not the casual uh, encounter in the corridor. There is not the drop into the office and say, hey, can I just talk to you about this for a second? Because I, I have an idea and it's not a scheduled meeting and a Zoom call. We have to be careful that uh, we don't think that that amazing capacity for connection that technology allows us the fact that, you know, on our phones, we have all of this information, that it doesn't take the place of actually being connected to those places. Technology is a tool to greater connection, but I don't think it's the connection itself. So I'm really appreciative of you talking to us about connection and uh, definitely gives me a lot to think about and hopefully gives our viewers a lot to, to kind of think about in terms of the way that they're fostering connection in their lives the way that they're sort of nurturing that and kind of meeting people where they are uh, and recognizing that if they want to create these, you know, kind of networks and circles that, you know, there's work there, right? It's not just, it's probably not going to just happen. It's not going to just fall into your lap that suddenly you have these very, um, you know, broad relationships and kind of this interconnectivity. So appreciate you being on uh, on the channel today. I do want to end with, one question that I promised our last guest that I would ask everyone. And so now I will do that. 
if you could talk to your younger self, sort of at now, you know, sort of this this much further on point in your life and your career and having all of this experience, these fantastic relationships uh, and all the interconnectivity that you've built, uh, what would you what would you like to tell your younger self given the opportunity to do so? Put trust in the fact that it's going to be okay. If you are willing to if you're willing to go along for the ride and make the necessary adjustments, have trust that it's going to be all right. It may not be exactly what you thought it was going to be, but it's going to be all right. And, you know, when you talk about talking to my younger self, my younger self was alive yesterday too. And it's sort of a conversation I have to have with myself almost every day. Because as I've reached this point in my life, dealing with, you know, challenges that I didn't think about 30 years ago, I sort of have to trust in the outcome. Because every day I'm a little bit more aware than I was the previous day of how I can't control everything. (laughs) And so I have to sort of make adjustments and trust the outcome. Finally, I want to thank Steve for being on the channel today. You have been fantastic. You are such a wonderful friend and mentor. Thank you for coming on the channel. And for the audience out there, if you like this type of content, if you're interested in learning from more people who have tons of experience and insight and knowledge, I really encourage you to take a look at the video that's right here where I speak to Brock Morrison, who is a fantastic CIO in the Chicago area and has lots of thoughts on forging your own path. So until next time, thank you. I'll see you in the next one.